into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin, lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery again. Duzzi's header. And the finish at the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. A goal back. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Coming up on Le Bourgeois, Marco Verratti turns into Marco van Basten for an evening as Paris Saint-Germain crush Reims. Nice and Marseille pull clear in the race for Champions League qualification. Dembele wins the derby for Lyon and Bordeaux secure Huang hell of a victory over Strasbourg to show that they're still alive and kicking. We'll discuss Marseille's mercurial talent, Boubacar Camera, bring you the latest transfer news and there's another prize, a Casper Dolberg Nice shirt up for grabs this week. Now, it is uh, it is transfer season and uh, Le Bourgeois has been busy. We've, uh, we've secured a loan deal this week. Joining us from uh, the Football Ramble podcast, we have Andy Brassel. How are you, Andy? I'm very well, thank you, fellas. How are you? Yeah, we're, we're very well. I understand there is no option to buy, but it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's great to have Andy on Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast. Joining us... Uh, a regular uh, um, a Ligue 1 commentator, Ian Holyman. How are you, Ian? Yeah, not bad. I'll be sending my agent in to make sure I get, I'm getting the same wages as Andy this afternoon, Matt. So, Well, it can create it can create problems, and I do know that, yeah, they pay well, allegedly, um, over over the road, <laughs> over, the, over the channel at the Football Ramble. But uh, we're not going to discuss that. You know, we're not going to wash our, our dirty linen in, in public. We're going to get straight into, uh, into the action. Um, Robbie Thompson uh, is listening in Australia. He was a bit disappointed we didn't talk about PSG um, much or even at all last week. So we're going to start with Paris Saint-Germain against Reims. Uh, PSG looking to secure a second victory in a row in Ligue 1 for the first time since November. They've been drawing a lot, four draws from their last five games. Armel Tanguy was at the Parc des Princes and here is what happened. Icardi with time to turn inside the box. Verratti finds the back of the net. And the cheer at the Parc des Princes, that little bit louder than usual, because he doesn't score many. Di Maria again. Danilo Pereira again. And Sergio Ramos gets his goal. His first for Paris Saint-Germain. of unlikely goal scorers and Lionel Messi on in place of Angel Di Maria just to uh, make things that little bit easier for Rouse Marco Verratti has got his second well that is quite incredible and now they turn on the style Mbappe looking to charge past Gravion off he goes, killing Mbappe, and he is past Gravion. Icardi in the middle, Lionel Messi working hard to get there. And Danilo Pereira strikes it into the top corner. And it's Paris Saint-Germain for Rasnil. So, Andy, Paris Saint-Germain uh, getting the job done. As often this season, they did uh, take a bit of time to get going. The first half wasn't brilliant. Rouse could even have, have taken the lead in that first half. And then... 
A goal from an unlikely source. Marco Verratti with it, his first of the season. And the second half, Andy, was uh, was a lot better, wasn't it? Yeah, when you teed that up, Matt, and you said a goal from an unlikely source, I thought Sergio Ramos is a very likely source for goals, particularly from corners. But then, of course, yeah, Marco Verratti, having not scored in in so long, um, making that that little difference. I, I mean, I guess we expected a few goals from him when we go back to the start of the Pochettino reign and he was being played as that sort of de facto number 10, which potentially they could still do with, with Neymar not being part of things at the moment. But I think it was just a little reminder in quite an unusual way of how vital Verratti is because, of course, there's been all the talk of Tanguy and Dombele over the last couple of days. And I guess this kind of tacit recognition that Paris Saint-Germain needs something a little bit different in midfield because they continue to be so incredibly reliant on Marco Verratti, not normally for goals, but for just everything else, really. And that will become even more important as the Champions League starts to um, roll back into to view. But this was the Paris Saint-Germain that we, we are sort of used to, really. The, the fact that, as you say, that they often have a, a difficult first half and they do that, you know, prime Juventus under Massimiliano Allegri thing of just absolutely overpowering teams in the final third of the the game. And that's exactly what they did because, of course, Oscar Garcia was happy enough with Ron's performance in the first half. And why wouldn't he have been? You know, they were a minute away from getting it into the break all level. Ian, Andy, Andy mentions the, the Champions League. And, of course, the, the countdown has started for the, for the Real Madrid game. Um, are there positive signs? Uh, I, th- I think you're going to say you can't compare Rouse with uh, with Real Madrid. You could in the 50s, but you probably can't. Uh, you probably can't anymore. But you know, <laughs> Ramos, Ramos getting that goal, and you know, seeing his his rage and his, his his celebration afterwards. You know, he could become an important guy. And of course, we're going to talk about him in the build up to Real Madrid. Yeah, the the thing that really struck me about that Sergio Ramos goal was that he and Tilo Kera seemed to have worked out a, a, a celebration, which which, which <laughs> I thought was nice. Um, but I, I have to say, I mean, Ramos, of course, has come in for a lot of criticism. He's been out a long time, has has barely played. But when I, when he has played, I think that he's given Paris Saint-Germain that little bit extra, that 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 thing that Sergio Ramos provides teams. I mean, he just he has just a real calm about him. You just feel you. I feel safer about Paris Saint Germain watching them on TV with Sergio Ramos in that back line. He, his distribution is is fabulous. His thirst for for victory is outrageous. I mean, how does the bloke get up in the morning after winning all of the stuff that he's won, and yet he still does? And he still. I mean, that goal yesterday, a huge celebration. In addition to the little handshake thing with 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 Kara. Um, and Ramos, of course, against Real Madrid. Wow. I mean, that's that's going to be an absolutely must-watch game for, for a neutral, never mind a, a, PSG, a PSG fan or a Real Madrid fan. It's going to be a huge contest. And I think his contribution in that game will be absolutely crucial to Paris Saint-Germain's chances of getting through. I agree, Ian, because if you're talking about what motivates him after all those trophies, and never mind the fact that Marcelo has now got one more than him after the Supercopper in um, Saudi Arabia the other week, it's the fact that back home in Spain, people have been saying, Sergio Ramos, great career, it is now over. And I can't think of anything that would motivate him more because, of course, he's had so many um, fitness difficulties over the last year, year and a half. 
And he's obviously fought incredibly hard to get himself in a position where he can come back and contribute. And you feel, as you said, for, for Paris Saint-Germain, with the Real Madrid tie on the horizon, it's absolutely the right time. And it turns out he's dangerous when he's angry. And that's exactly what Paris need at the moment. But what do you do then, uh, Ian? Because Presnok Kimpembe gets... Uh a bit of unfair stick sometimes uh, on, on, on social media. I would say within Paris Saint-Germain and among the supporters, he is, you know, he is an absolute, um, I want to say tolier, but that's not an English word, is it? He, you know, he, 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 he's really a talismanic kind of figure within, within that team and a superb defender, you know, 99, well, 98% of the time. And certainly for the big games, he's there. So do you go to a back three? Uh, do you drop Kimpembe? I drop Kimpembe. Every every time, absolutely. I, I I I'll you know I'm sure that Robbie's absolutely raging right now a, a million miles away <laughs> down under. But you know, Kimpembe's distribution is nowhere near as good as, as as Ramos is. He's nowhere near as as or he's far more error prone. I I feel, and his physical commitment. Well, have you ever seen Sergio Ramos shirk a tackle? Is, is is the response to that? So well, I haven't seen Kimpembe shirk too many either. No, but exactly. I mean, so they're level on that. They're level on that particular <laughs> particular area, and I think Ramos is superior in, in so many others. So for me, I'd it's. Li- I'd like to see you. Yeah, I'd like to see you say it to Presnell's face, Andy Brassel, Do you do you, do you agree with Ian on that? I I think the um, the idea of the three is a nice one. I think especially as you get deep into the Champions League. Um, I, because of the fitness thing, I don't want to throw everything in the Sergio Ramos lot just yet. You know, I want to see him be able to play consistently. Um, and Kimpembe is, as you say, for the most part, hugely reliable. Also, I think if you look at the fullbacks slash wingbacks that Paris have, especially going into the, the back end of the Champions League, Having three at the back would really suit Nuno Mensch and Ashraf Hakimi. And I think to get the best out of them, two players that PSG have thrown a lot at and want to be really important players for them, it's clear that Hakimi is still not really happy in a back four. I think it's about getting the best out of your most important players as well. And, you know, if you think Sergio Ramos, half the point of him is not just to be good in himself, but to lift everyone around him up that little bit higher. And I think by making a three rather than a back four, he could maybe do that. Ian, uh, fairly quickly on on Stade de Reims, without wanting to to disrespect um, Stade de Reims, who, who, who are doing... You know, doing pretty well this this season. Uh, a lot of people thought they'd be bottom three, but but they're doing okay, thanks uh, in no small part to Hugo Ekatike, who's got eight goals. Had a chance or two last night, Ian. What what did you make of Rance overall? Well, they were always going to come. Not exactly park the boss, but they, they were going to try and get what they could on the counter-attack. As you said, they matched Paris Saint-Germain in the first half, but as, as Andy mentioned, I think it was overpowered is the word. And teams just can't keep going, keep defending, keep running at that sort of intensity without without leaving space eventually when they get tired. But Reims, yeah, they they're nowhere near as tight at the back as they were a couple of seasons back with under under David Guillon. But they've done pretty well under Oscar Garcia so far. I think one win, sorry, one loss in their previous eight before the before the last two. That the loss to to Metz was pretty damaging. 
uh, but Mets had been in, in reasonable form themselves as well. So I think a 4-0 defeat at Paris Saint-Germain, that, it's just a free hit, isn't it? A trip to Paris Saint-Germain for a club like Reims right now, as you said, not in the 50s, but but certainly now. But they, they, they're, they're, they're going to stay up and Garcia will have done a pretty decent job in his first season there. Yeah, very, very young team. Uh, they, they they made a big signing in January. Jean Cajus, the Swedish international who who struggled a bit last night, but you would guess there'll be better days to come from him. Rounds are in 14th. They've got uh, 24 points. So what's that? Five above the bottom three, seven above the bottom two. They're, they're just about keeping, uh, yeah, keeping their, their heads above the water. Um, nice, by the way, were victorious as well at the weekend. They won 2-0. Um, away to Mets on a on a pretty awful pitch. Amin Guiri, uh, the most dangerous player by far, out on that pitch. Um, he scored the second goal from the penalty spot. Kefren Turam scored for the second week running. He's doing really well and is definitely a young player to keep our eyes on. But uh, I know our listeners are probably very keen to get their hands on a Casper Dolberg shirt. Dolberg had a had a decent game at Mets as well. So we're going to bring you our, our Deja Who now before moving on to the uh, the Derby analysis of Lyon versus Saint-Étienne. So you have to try to guess the person, the player, former player uh, in most cases that we are talking about. Last week's clue um, was this. Uh, after great success in the Youth Academy, I graduated to the first team of my uh, one and only French side and went on to play a key role in the most successful period ever in the club's history, winning the league and two cups. Called upon to represent my country, I played a less far sorry, a far less important role for my nation as they enjoyed global success, providing a safe pair of hands for football's holy grail. A move overseas brought more silverware but little recognition as I further confirmed my new status as the forgotten man of French football, despite sharing my name with arguably the greatest player of all time. Um, Andy Brassel, was that quite easy for you? Yeah, I think I know who that is. You think you know. Because the greatest player of all time, immediately I, I was thinking Pelé, goalkeeper Johan Pelé, um, but that threw me off track. The answer was Lionel Charbonnier, former Auxerre goalkeeper who did go to the World Cup with France in 98. And as Robbie wrote the clue, of course, Lionel was that greatest player of all time. Um Quite a few, well, a handful of, of correct answers. Well done to everybody. The lucky winner, the winner of a Lionel Messi shirt, Robin O'Donnell. Congratulations to Robin. Um, we will be in touch with you, Robin. Uh, well done for emailing in league1podcast at gmail.com. And uh, congratulations. Wear your Messi shirt with pride. Now, for this week's clue, if you think you know the answer, uh, our email is league1podcast at gmail.com, L-I-G-U-E, the number one podcast at gmail.com. Here we go. Much travelled and much decorated. I retired from competitive football last year after six seasons in the fifth country of my professional odyssey. A charismatic leader, I won numerous championships at club level and proudly wear a medal on the chest of my national team jersey. I'm best remembered by Ligue 1 fans for orchestrating my one and only French club's return to the fore, ending nearly two decades without silverware, picking up no fewer than six trophies and fully justifying my status as the club's most expensive transfer at that time. I share my nickname with another current Ligue 1 star, despite famously saying, I don't command anymore. 
Who am I? Now, you need to send in his name and his nickname, please, for your chance to win a Casper Dolberg shirt. League One Podcast at gmail.com. Ian, Andy, tricky one, easy one? The thing is, because of the layering of Robbie's clues, there are various points during the clue where you think it's one person and then you begin to think it's another. I think I know who it is, but I went through stages of thinking it was three different people. Yeah, well, that's the Thompson <laughs> technique. He, he gets your mind in a spin. Absolutely. Well, okay. Listen, I, I, we do have some real specialists listening. So, the, you know, the clues are hard, but, you know, we, we, we're trying to make our listeners work a little bit. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see who, who gets that one. Let's move on to our second uh, feature game here on Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast that we uh, welcome you to uh, subscribe to on the different podcast platforms and to talk to all of your friends and family, get them involved. Um because we want, we need <laughs> your attention. Lyon versus uh, Saint-Étienne uh, was always an eagerly anticipated contest. Le Derby, the first time in an awful long time that these two sides are in the bottom half of the table going into this one. Saint-Étienne, rock bottom. Let's hear what happened with David Crossan. Dubois for Dembele's run. Dembele goes down. And Anthony Gauthier points to the penalty spot. Timothée Kolodziszak, who started his professional career at Lyon, captain Saint-Étienne tonight, and he has conceded a penalty. A different sort of pressure on penalty takers with only 5,000 in the ground. Dembele stutters in the run-up and sends Bernardoni the wrong way. Olympique Lyonnais 1, Saint-Étienne 0 in the derby. Dembele with a confident kick. And it's a perfect start to the derby for OL. So Andy, for the for the second week running, Leon got got the victory thanks to a Moussa Dembele penalty. Um these games, we've seen some wonderful derbies uh in, in recent years. This wasn't one of them, was it? Uh, only five thousand supporters in the in the group armour and um yeah, not a not a not a scintillating contest. No, it wasn't. And um, I I guess we're justified in wondering, Matt, if it ever was going to be because uh, Lyon at the moment are trying to rebuild in a very step-by-step sort of way in in, in 2022. Of course, a really rough first half to the the, the season. And the last couple of games, of course, Peter Bosch has talked about winning being the vital thing. And I, I guess it is if you're trying to prolong your time in charge of the team. It's not the football we were promised at the the start of his reign. On the other hand of it, Saint-Étienne um, depleted in a terrible state at the bottom of the table. They were never going to make it easy. And, you know, they tried everything they could to shut Leon down. I, th- I think if you're Pascal Duprat, you're, you're actually fairly happy with that performance, if if, if not the result. Um, Leon had loads of the ball. Uh, Saint-Étienne made it very, very difficult for them, limited their ability uh, to create chances. Um, I guess Leon will be annoyed that they didn't put it away a bit sooner, but... That's what happens when you have strikers who don't score goals in open play, really. Yeah, Ian, I mean, Andy says that, you know, Dupra won't be too disappointed, certainly with, with the performance, but it's four defeats now for, for him in the league. You know, nothing has changed since uh, since he took over from Puel with regards uh, with regards to the results. And you look at that Saint-Étienne lineup. a lot of young players. I was uh, reading somebody who who was saying on social media that, 
you know, this is a second division side. You know, it's completely logical mm. that that they are down there, and you know, they've 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 got Kazri and Buanga away at the Nations Cup. Um, that's a lot of quality to take out of the side. Now we know that they've brought in uh, uh, Elikim uh, Mongala, former France international defender, formerly of Manchester City, was a was a huge signing back in the day. Um, Joris Nyanyon as well, former Ren defender. So they're remodeling the defence. There's also uh, suggestions that Robert Berich, the uh, crowd favourite back in the day, a famous winner of a of a derby game uh, in the past, could be coming in. Is there any reason for Saint-Étienne to be hopeful that they can stay up? No. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Come on, give us Saint-Étienne fans something to cling to. They're not they're, they're not cut adrift yet, Ian, are they? They're, they're well, sort of five, five behind Lorient, seven behind Metz. It's not impossible. I mean, when when your most experienced player, Timothy Kolodziachak, he's captaining a young side, makes a challenge like that on Moussa Dembele, who has done all right to draw him in, but Kolodziachak should know so much better. And he's given away a very cheap penalty uh, early on in the game. And and Saint Etienne have, have shown have shown nothing. Yes, they've got they haven't got Kazri, they haven't got Boanga, the two to two best forwards. Bringing Beric back is an absolute desperation move, and 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 for me they're in they're in desperate desperate straits, and I I don't think they're going to save themselves. You you mentioned seven points, they don't they've got twelve points after twenty one games. The seven points adrift, they are cut adrift. Well, that's right, Ian. I mean, these are desperately um, troubled times for Saint-Étienne, a fantastic football club, and uh, Ligue 1 would be a, a poorer place uh, without them. No question about that. They've got a huge amount of work to do. I mean, Lyon, Andy, uh, are still in the bottom half themselves, but it is so close, sort of between, um, certainly between fourth, and then you come down to Lyon in, in 11th. There's only four points separating Lyon from Strasbourg, who were, who were in fourth. Um, they've got that game in hand. It's against Marseille. Do you have more hope for Leon? I mean, you know, you, you mentioned that, you know, this game that Peter Boss was promising, the, the high intensity, high pressing attacking football. We're not, we're not seeing that, but um, two wins, you know, can they build, can they kick on? And we've seen in the past, Leon enjoy really good second halves to seasons. Yeah, we have, Matt. And I think the quality is there in terms of the players. And I think if you compare them to what they hoped would be their competitors at the start of the season, like Nice or, or Marseille, I don't think there's a significant drop-off in, in, in terms of squad. Um, it's interesting seeing Bosch kind of, not exactly walk back from his principles, but back off from the more fundamental angles of it, I suppose, because simply they couldn't go on defending like that. I still feel as if they're muddling through things defensively a lot just by adding the extra player in there. Clearly, they were stretched at, at, at the weekend, having uh, Thiago Mensch playing at um, centre-back as well. Although, if there was any game that you were going to do it in, it would be against Saint-Étienne at the moment because they don't have an enormous amount of, of, of threat going forward. It's clear what they need to do is figure out the front half of the team because, as we said, the, the quality is there. Um but we need to see more goals from Moussa Dembélé in open play. It would be good if Slimani could contribute. 
I do wonder what Bradley Barcola has to do to maybe get a few minutes here and there because um, clearly they've given him the extra year of contract so they, they, they believe in him. But, you know, we've seen them pushing for Sada Asmoon from Zenit St. Petersburg who this weekend is, is signed for Bayer Leverkusen for the coming season and until 2027 instead, which is a, a blow to them because they've been looking at him for a while and trying everything they can to get him over from Russia for a while because they know that's what they're lacking. It's it's nice thought to say, well, you know, maybe once they get one or two goals, it'll open the floodgates, but it doesn't really feel like that at the moment. A guy I've been really impressed with, um, talking about Leon Youngsters, is Castello Lukeba, who really does look very assured, 19 years of age, mm. Um, and you know, composed in, in possession, strong and, and and quick. And you know, Leon's academy uh, through the years has been absolutely phenomenal. It's continuing to provide them with 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 quality players. But uh, I think Andy, you've got um, something you want to say about one of Leon's Leon's youngsters, one of their prodigies, and perhaps even uh, perhaps even we have a debut coup de girl, a debut rant from uh, <laughs> from Andy Brasser, which is a, an impressive effort on your on your first uh, appearance on Le Bourgeois. So so here we go. Let's hear Andy Brasser's coup de girl. Oh, quelle bande de chèvres! C'est mon coup de gueule. Guys, I simply can't hold it in any longer. I don't know what Ryan Shirky has to do to to, to play more. Um, we've seen um, Zerdan Shakiri arrive and not really make an impression. Um, we've seen Leon struggle to score goals in a number of games this season, which has really held them back. There have been a, a lot of draws. And Shirky just doesn't seem to be getting that love from Peter Bosch, you know, who's told to be a more team player by the coach. Um, and it feels like he's made the effort to do that. But I know Robbie was saying to us the, the other day, if you go back a couple of years and when he was still 16, when he absolutely took Nantes to pieces in that Coupe de France game and you thought, right, here he goes, this is the moment. But there needs to be some trust in him. And when you look at at Leon's history, the best bits are not attracting A-list stars because they've always struggled to do that. It's been being guided by the young players. And, you know, you can go back to, in that run of seven, Benzema and Ben Arthur, that that incredible 2007-2008 uh, season they had. And then you look after... They spent all their money on unsuitable players and had to start from the bottom, financially speaking, again. It was uh, Lacazette, Fekir. You know, you look at any European league over the weekend and there's a reminder of how important the academy is to Leon. You see Toliso doing his stuff for, for Bayern. You see Nabil Fekir ripping it up for Betis in La Liga. You know, there's reminders constant. Even Alex Lacazette, who I was going to say, yeah. much, you, see, uh, you see Lacker <laughs> falling, falling over his feet against Burnley. Yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> But even uh, he is a player who, even when he's not at his absolute best, he gives you everything. If you look at Arsenal's points per game with Lacazette in the team, as opposed to without Lacazette in the team, yeah. you know it's, it's, it's immense. And Leon's whole philosophy is about that academy, is about empowering those young players. How can Shirky commit and how can he do what he needs to do if he doesn't get the opportunity to express himself and, and grow. And I think of all the things that have happened under Peter Bosch this season, if he alienates Shirky and makes him leave, that would be the worst. I know Leon fans still look at, you mentioned earlier, Amin Guiri doing his stuff for Nice. You know, I know people really regret him going. And of course, there'll always be some that slip through the net. Shirky cannot be allowed to slip through the net. 
Ian, um, I, I was chatting to a colleague at work the other day who was saying, no, nah, he's not going to do it. You know, Shirky is not going to make it. I was going to say, is he going down the Ben Arfa route more than the Benzema route? But, you know, let's not forget that Ben Arfa has played for big teams and played for France. And, you know, it's, it's, you know I'm not saying Ben Arfa's had a bad career, but perhaps in terms of, you know, the proportion uh, or ratio, if you like, from talent to, to, to success, he hasn't really succeeded because he's got immense talent. And so does Shirky. Jerome Boateng was saying Shirky is unbelievable in training, um, but he needs to start producing in the games. And that means assists and goals. And he's not, and he's not doing it. Where's, where's Shirky headed as far as you're concerned? Yeah, he's past it, isn't he? I mean, crikey, he was eight. <laughs> <laughs> he was 18 in August. Get him written off. Come on. I, I, I think Andy has, Andy has hit the nail on the head. He, he needs a chance, doesn't he? He needs a chance. I was just having a, having a quick look at his, his stats. And the one that stands out for me is that he's been in the match day squad for Leon every single game bar one. That's, so that he's, that's 21. He's made 14 appearances. How many starts? Two. It's yeah, not- no, I agree, but there, but but there's probably a reason behind it. It's probably you know Peter Boss maybe isn't seeing what he wants to see from him in training. But look, we, you know, well, if Jerome Boateng thinks he's fantastic in training, and Jerome Boateng <laughs> should be a pretty decent judge of a of, of a good player, um, yeah, but, is there something yeah, is not, there something else there? Maybe he's not even maybe he's not getting the assist in training either. But look, look we're, we're going to have to <laughs> we're going to have to keep our eyes on, on that one. Um, it is. So tight, as I said, for you know, certainly for the top four, because a couple of the um front runners were defeated. Wren uh, went down at Claremont, they were one nil up through Santa Maria, but Claremont hit back Lucas da Cunha on loan from Nice and Jordan Tell scoring the goals. Massive victory for Claremont, they pull away from the uh relegation zone. Um, but perhaps the most eye catching result of the weekend, Bordeaux four. Uh, Strasbourg 3, a wonderful game. It was perhaps going to be the last game for Vladimir Petkovic if Bordeaux didn't win that. They did, thanks to notably thanks to Huang Weizhou, um, the Korean forward who was uh, phenomenal, scored a hat-trick and uh, big relief from Bordeaux who pull away from the relegation zone. Uh, we're going to talk about Lens and Marseille. I was... Um, in the north at the Stade Félix Bollard on Saturday night. Um, Lens lost. Marseille deservedly won. It was actually a very impressive performance from Jorge Sampaoli's team. Um, Dimitri Payet got a penalty in the first half. Cedric Bakombu uh, came on and within two minutes scored his first Marseille goal. Um, so that's going to be interesting. Milik didn't start the game for Marseille, didn't come on either. Um, so his position uh, under threat somewhat with Bakambu coming on and scoring. And um, I, I had an interesting night because I was actually following the referee. We were filming a, a report on uh, Stephanie Frappard, who has emerged well, in the last two or three years as one of the best French referees around. She's made uh, uh, records, if you like, for becoming the first female referee to, to take charge of a Champions League game. She's overseen uh, the European Super Cup. She has overseen international qualifiers as well and uh, yeah absolutely fascinating to 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 kind of experience an evening from the perspective of the referee we had her mic'd up as well so um we could hear everything that was going on out on the pitch and you know I've never heard anybody speak so politely to Matteo Genduzzi she, she had Genduzzi in her ear quite a lot of the <laughs> evening and it was always Monsieur Genduzzi, il n'y a rien, Monsieur Genduzzi. So, it, you know, it, it was interesting. A couple of things struck me. 
one is how much running these people do because we don't really you know we're watching the game we don't we don't notice but you know you do have to be very very fit and the other thing is sort of how much preparation how much work goes into um you know preparing for the game and also uh giving attention to the way teams play they that they try and learn all sorts of things about the um the tactical setups the the free kicks uh who who crosses with his left foot who crosses with his right foot and i was wondering you know what it's all about positioning it's all about making sure the referee is in the right position at the right time and um pre-match she was talking about Seko Fofana with her with her um her assistants and the fourth referee saying um you know this guy's got quatre poumons he's got four lungs so we got to be really quick you know when he starts springing forward we got to go and it, you know it's 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 very interesting it's almost like there's a third team talk going on uh, on 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 the day of the game, and uh, Frappar had a had a good match, boys. I don't know what you thought of the the penalty decision, Andy. There was a um, bit of a push on Matteo Genduzzi. I have to admit, from the stand, I thought, "Oh, looks like a soft penalty." Initially, Lance weren't happy, and the replays suggest that Frappar was quite right. Yeah, I th- I thought it was a pen, and um, Genduzzi, I, I thought was back to the sort of form that they need him in. Uh, he's, I don't know. I, I think. The view of him in France and the view of him outside France is, is, is quite different because, of course, he was um, shuttled out of Arsenal rather hastily at a, a very uh, up-and-down spell at Hertha in, in Germany. And, of course, they're not the most stable of teams at the moment, so maybe that's to be expected. But a lot of people in England particularly are really surprised at how he's flourished since since going to Marseille. It feels as if, weirdly, for a, a Paris boy, it's the club for him. You know, it really suits him. And it, he likes that pressure. He likes that bit of craziness. He likes the responsibility that he's given by Sam Pauli in the team. And seeing him as not just a disruptor, but an animator is is, is quite interesting. Ian, um, I want to ask you as well about another Marseille midfielder, Bubaka Camera, because you've got the... Um... The madness of Genduzi, if you like, you know, all action midfielder with his with his flowing locks. And Camera, in some ways, is kind of um, the opposite of that. Just great composure. Uh, it's all about positioning, being in the right place. And actually, on Saturday, it was it was really interesting. He spent sort of half the game playing in defence because Marseille, for once, had a had a back four. So Camera was dropping back into the defence a lot, allowing the wide guys to 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 push up. And you know, for a young guy. It, you know he's got amazing quality, but also seems to have amazing kind of tactical ability as well. Well, he has he has been used a lot, hasn't he, at, at, at centre back uh, in, in under previous regimes, and I think Marseille have got a big problem. I mean, we we talk a lot, obviously, about Kylian Mbappe's contract situation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm not putting Camera on that sort of level, but he's he's a real talent, and he's out of contract. In the summer, he's a Marseille boy. His mum was a season ticket holder. Um, he's he's Marseille through and through, and Marseille have got to try. They've got to try and keep him. And I, I think that he, he he does work very very well with Genduzi, who I have to say for me had an absolutely outstanding game. Outstanding game, Genduzi. He was everywhere. He did everything. Created the penalty. Would have scored if he hadn't been fouled. And he provided the pass through for for Bakambu for for the second. So those two working very well. And on that sort of form, Matt, I'd have thought Mikel Arteta would be very very keen to get Genduzi back uh, get Genduzi back at Arsenal. 
that point about camera, Ian, I, I think is a really interesting one in terms of the comparison with Mbappe. Of course, they're very different players and Mbappe is one of the world's greatest. But in terms of how replaceable they are to their current teams if they go for nothing, I, I think it is a really good comparison. How can Marseille replace camera they can't they simply can't it is a one in a million player for what they want to bring that sort of calm to a team that has and a club that has so much pressure on it someone who's come through the system who's come through the city who gets it who can see the game so calmly when they need him to actually it's kind of the legacy of Andre Villas-Boas isn't it who stuck him in midfield in the first place and it's something that Sam Pauli's um, stuck to and you know he's been an incredibly important player for him as well I mean of course if Kylian Mbappe left Paris Saint-Germain it would be an enormous loss to them and to, to Ligue 1 but at least Paris have the resources to do something about it to say that Marseille could go out and get an equivalent player to Boubacar Camera, I just don't think is realistic um, Ian we got um, we got an email in from uh, from Liam Wraith of the We Made It podcast uh, Liam is a, is a keen keen follower of Ligue 1 and he says um, how do you guys feel about his opinion Liam's opinion that Ligue 1 has at least six of the top 10 midfielders under 25 in Europe and Liam actually doesn't include Camera in that list so you know you could even say 11 uh, or rather seven of the uh, of the best 10 um, Liam goes with Awa, Renato Sanchez Genduzi, Chouameni Kakare Guimaraes Kakare and Guimaraes were, were, were very good probably the best players in the derby uh, against Saint-Étienne. Um, Ian, uh, do, you, do you go along with Liam there? Do you think this is really you know, elite young talent that we're talking about? He's, he's absolutely elite young talent that we're talking about. And what, only six? And surely there's this, this probably got to be more than that. Six out of ten. Six out of the best ten in Europe. I mean, that's quite a big, big shout. It's still a, quite, it's still a pretty big, big, big percentage, but, you know... This, this, we go on about this, this Farmers League, like, perception. I mean, it's absolutely, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Apart from the fact that farmers grow things and perhaps we could stretch that metaphor to, <laughs> and I'm going to stretch it to Lee Gann, Lee Gann allowing these young shoots to push their way towards the sunlight or something. But I mean, it's, I have to say this, this weekend, 35 goals in 10 games. Um, on on a selfish note, as I'm doing the highlights on a Sunday afternoon, if some of the teams on a Sunday afternoon could not score quite as many goals, that would <laughs> that would facilitate my life quite considerably. However, however, I mean it, it's just it's just fabulous this season. I think the, the shackles have been taken off. We're seeing young players running riot. I mean, Guiri. Guiri, how are we? How are people not talking about more about? I mean, Guiri. I know he's not midfielder, sorry, but I just want to go on about. I mean, Guiri because he's so good. He's so no, good. Right. Only Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe of players twenty three or twenty three or under have got double figures for goals and five assists in the top five leagues in Europe, and no one's mentioning. I mean, Guiri. Let's keep it quiet before he gets a huge, 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 huge offer from from some massive club. But how, how he's and not he, being talked yeah, about, yeah, I no, don't know. Quite right. And Ian, you you commentated Montpellier against Monaco. Um, Chouameni was head and shoulders Monaco's best player. Chouameni has been, been superb this season. And Steffi Mavididi is unlucky because it was a toss-up, really. I was thinking, do we talk about Bubaka Camera this week or do we talk about Steffi Mavididi? Could it be Mavididi, 23 years of age and 
just very quickly in. He was he was superb. Got two, including a 91st minute winner. Tremendous goal after Nicola Cosa's run. Uh, he's looking good, Mavadidi. Really, really exciting talent. Very, very exciting. And and what what I thought was great about Montpellier yesterday was they were without Teji Savanier. And we focus so much on him because he's such a brilliant player and we all love a mercurial playmaker. But we we hardly saw Florent Molle, who I thought would take on that sort of creative mantle because El Uwahi and Steffi Mavadidi linked up so, so well. I mean, they've got the pace, they've got the power, but they've also got the, the trickery and they've got the finishing skills as well. They got the three goals between them. Um, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But Chouameni too, I have to say, lovely ball in for Ben Yedda's goal. He's got 13 for the season now, Ben Yedda, so he's still not, he's still not past it. But Chouameni was, was a bit like Genduzi for Marseille. He was just absolutely everywhere and did absolutely everything. Uh, Liam Wraith also asked us if we have a, um, a surprise that we think is going to happen in Liga in, in 2022. Now, I, when I saw the question uh, a few days ago, I was going to go with Strasbourg, Champions League. I don't know. I mean, they're... they're they're fourth, um, but losing to Bordeaux at the weekend and uh, Nice and Marseille sort of pulling clear in the top three. I'm not sure. So my shock surprise is going to be Ludovic Ajorc break into the France side and to finish as top scorer in the World Cup in Qatar. Um, so, you know, that's going to surprise people. There you go, Liam. And, you know, thank you so much for, for writing in. Anybody else, if you do want to get some some other sort of, you know, left field crazy uh, answers from me, do email in league one podcast at, at gmail.com um just time for our for our bon voyage we're going to look ahead to round 23 which is it's actually coming up in two weeks because we got coupe de france uh, this weekend um so just in case you don't know this is the uh, the time where we look ahead to to the next round and we and, and we decide where we're going to go so time for a bon voyage So we're in early February now. The action restarts with Marseille versus Angers on the Friday night, Friday the 4th of February. A big game on Saturday night, Monaco against Lyon. Um, Another big game Sunday night, Lille against PSG. Some other good games as well. A Brittany derby between between Rennes and uh, and Brest. Ian Holyman, where'd you fancy go? Well, of course, the Saucy's Galette. On on offer at uh, a Rennes is, is is always a temptation, but I'm I'm going to throw a slightly left field one. I'm going to go Reims Bordeaux because I'm very curious to see how this this Bordeaux Renaissance goes against one of the great names of of, of European footballs. Yesteryear, uh, Reims two time European Cup finalists uh, back in back in the fifties, as we as we mentioned, um, haven't been haven't been playing too badly under Oscar Garcia and um, I'm really keen to see Juan Guijo in the flesh I personally have been very impressed by him since he came to Liga I think he's you think he's been flying under the radar he's very much on the radar now after the hat trick yesterday but um, I think that's just desserts for what has been a, a very good what is it 18 months uh, two years in 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 Liga football already for the for the South Korea striker so I'd be heading to the Stade August Delorne just desserts for for Huang, but Ian, I'm I'm shocked that you haven't made any alcohol reference in a Rams Bordeaux game. I was I was assuming that was all about champagne and wine, but but no, very professional until the end, Ian Holyman. Um, Andy, Andy, where where where, where do you want to go? 
Uh, there will be champagne on Saturday night in Monaco. I'm going to go to Monaco versus uh, Lyon because it's a huge game anyway, of course. These are two teams who are have got great squads but are falling way short of expectation. There's clearly not a place in the Champions League for both of them. I mean, probably not for either of them, the way things are going at the moment. Um, two coaches who are under certain amounts of pressure, even though Philippe Clement has only just arrived... So the reason I picked it is because it was my first ever away trip as a supporter in France. And of course, anyone who's travelled to away games in England or Germany will know that there's that bit at the end where for security purposes, you're kept in the away end for 20 minutes. Well, the difference is when you're kept in the away end for 20 minutes at Monaco, you look out the back of the away stand and rather than looking at an industrial estate or similar, you're looking at a load of yachts just floating on the harbour, which is magnificent. It's quite an away trip. And um, even though Monaco isn't associated with the fervour of a Lens or a Marseille or a Saint-Étienne, it's a, it's a really great experience and a fun Saturday night out as well, of course. Absolutely. Just save up before you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to the other side of the country. I'm going to go north because I, I was in Lens last weekend and people... I know it's a bit of a cliche in France. They talk about, you know, the les ch'tis and they're so nice, but it is ridiculous, the difference between the behaviour of people in Paris. And then you go north and everyone, it's just everyone's so nice. But that's not the only reason I'm going to go to Lille. I'm going to go because Lille are playing PSG. And uh, we haven't mentioned that Lille were beaten uh, against Brest last weekend. It's their first defeat in 15. Um, so that was... Uh, that was a blow, but I think Lille are getting getting back to something like what they were last season. And this is going to be almost a dress rehearsal for the Champions League games. Lille playing Chelsea, um, PSG playing playing Real Madrid. This will be a high-level game, and I reckon the champions can pose problems to the league leaders. So I'm going to take in that one. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much to Andy Brassell from uh, from Football Ramble. Do, do, do check them out. They are excellent. Check out as well. Um, their podcast on the continent which is a European uh, football uh, podcast brought to you by Football Ramble every Thursday and it's been an absolute pleasure thank you brilliant stuff and Ian Holyman thank you for getting out of bed this morning after such a late night great to have you no trouble at all <laughs> cheers Ian cheers Andy thanks everyone we'll be back again very soon all the best bye bye oh my word what a goal got it Messi again. This time maybe Messi's done it.